Well, I'm purposely being very slow through my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Uh, I've got 33 and 34 before you. Uh, If you need others, I don't have many other copies, but let me know and I'll do my best. Uh, We're in chapter 17. This is the the record of Jesus' prayer. And we've divided this up into three sections for ease. The first five verses, Jesus prayed for Himself. And we understand by reading it that he really, his prayer was for the, for the glory of his Father and for his glory. And, uh, he, he prayed, uh, for the, for his Father's will to be done and his, his glory to be accomplished. And we saw that in great detail. He prayed for his own glory. And he prayed, uh, about the importance of the cross. And he talked about the efficacy of the cross. And he talked about when he said, glorify your Son, uh, his desire was that the cross would accomplish its purpose, and of course it did, and that he was glorified, the Father was glorified. We talked about that in great detail. We talked about his desire for the Father to be glorified in, a, in verse 1, and we talked about that specifically as we talked about verse 2, as you, Father, have given authority over all flesh, that you, Father, should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And we talked about an eternity past. The word is not in here, but this is what the definition of it is. Election that the Father gave a people unto the Son before the foundation of the world, according to the good pleasure of His will, not seeing any merit in the people that He was to save, but He chose us by His grace. And Jesus came, and He died for those people. And all of those people are saved. All the sheep are brought into the sheepfold. And that is the glory of the Father and the Son together. Uh, as they have secured the salvation of a people, and we rejoice by His grace that we are included in that number. We talked about that in great detail. We looked at hundreds of verses. Matter of fact, Austin complained that I had way too many verses about this, and we didn't even look at them all. But if you want to look at your notes, that would be in lesson 32. If you want to go through those, and then last week we, and then we talked about to tell us that Jesus has finished the work. That means He's accomplished completely and forever the work He came to do on the cross. Before it's accomplished, it is accomplished, if you know what I mean. And Jesus said, I've finished the work, and this is a few hours before He's actually died. But He did die. He did rise from the dead. He did exalt to the Father. And His work of salvation is complete. Uh, and there's nothing that can be added to it. And we are forever and gloriously saved. And then we talked about uh, the eternality of Jesus Christ, verse 5, and we talked about the glory that He had with the Father, speaks of His uh, eternality, that He's always existed. And now as a human, as God and man, He's uh, eternally going to exist in glory with the Father as the eternal God-man, and He will forever be glorified. And then we broke it into, now Jesus, in verse 6 through 19, Jesus is going to pray for the disciples. And we see that in verses 6 through 19. And we've sort of broke that down. Just for the ease, I used the commentator's uh, uh, outline just so we can make it easier for us. And look at chapter 13. He's prayed for uh, lesson 33. He prayed, first of all, for the disciples' knowledge. We talked about that in great detail. Then he talked about the disciples. He prayed for their perseverance. 
And that is where we left off. So we're looking at uh, section B for their perseverance. Uh, so we're at verse 10. Let me read this real quick. And then we're going to look at Jesus praying for His disciples and specifically for their perseverance. And then we're going to look for their joy. Then we're going to look, look at Jesus praying for their sanctification in today's notes. And then we'll see Jesus prays for the mission of the disciples. And then uh, depending on how far we get, then we'll pray. Then we'll see the third section, which is going to, Jesus is going to pray for all of us, those who will come to Him through the foundation that the disciples lay, the apostles lay. Let me start with uh, verse 6. Jesus speaking, Jesus praying out loud in front of the disciples for their benefit and for our benefit. I have opened up the curtain. I have revealed your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them the words, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you gave me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So we see Jesus praying. In second part, we're going to book, Jesus prays for the perseverance of the disciples. And first thing we notice uh, in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Does that give you peace? What is he saying in layman's terms very clearly? Let this, as Jesus talked about this last, we talked about this last week. This is spiritually perceived as the Holy Spirit opens your ears and your mind. And as Jesus said in Luke, let these words sink into your ears. We're not talking about a head knowledge of what he's talking about. I'm talking about a Holy Spirit generated Ability to comprehend this truth. So I want you to say lie, chew on this a while. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. How do we glorify the Father and the Son? 
How do we, remember glorify is, is to elicit praise and adoration. It comes from the word doxa, the doxology, which we sang in the first service. How do we, failed human beings, saved by grace, how do we elicit adoration from the world and, and, and from within our own family community to the Father and to the Son? How does your life point people to Christ? Attitude of faithfulness. Excellent. Contentment. And I ask the great question, are you content? How else does our lives elicit adoration from the world and from each other in this room, within our church, within Granbury? Good. Anything else? Thankful and obedient. Faithful and obedient. Thankful too. Yes, ma'am. Image bearers. We say with the apostle, God forbid that I should glory. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. You guys love very well in this class and in this church. And we thank the Lord for that. Carolyn has told us countless times how she feels loved. She's new to this and she feels loved. And that's good. That's why we're here. Rachel has told me and Val has told me how they felt loved when 21 of us marched through that church and gave her a hug. And everybody in that church looked at us like, why? There's something different about these guys, right? And I hope that encouraged you. That's why we're here. That gives glory to God, right? Yes. Servant's heart. Servant. Good. Good. It really gives Good. me a lot of comfort. It gives me strength. It gives me courage to go on and, and to face whatever it is. And, and what it does is, is you, Rob and Katie are blown away by the magnanimity, magnanimity, magnanimity. You shouldn't use two final words. That we as a church have shown her. People that stay with Katie at night for many nights. 24-7 almost, 24-7 with Rob in the hospital. 
They know we are Christians by our what? Love, which is a fruit. That is That glorifies God because that is not natural in any one of us. That is otherworldly and it is a work of the Spirit. And because we are Christ's and Christ is God, we are united with Him. And we get into the next week, if we ever get there, when He says, I pray that they will be one as we are one. <laughs> How do you comprehend that? That God would pray that we would be one. I'll let you think about that this week. That He would choose weak vessels, adopt us into our family, into His family, and then equip us to be His ministers and to, we are His ministers and we go forth and do this and that gives Him glory. Right? So when Jesus is praying for His disciples that they would be one and they would give and that He's glorified in them, that prayer is fulfilled in His disciples when His disciples die for Him. How else can you explain a man that would be hung upside down, I mean crucified upside down, or beheaded, or slaughtered, or burned, or having been torched with tar and hung upside down as they were the the martyrs? It gives glory to God that men would would rather die than renounce faith in Christ. That gives glory to God because that is not a natural way for a human being to act. That gives Him glory. And that's why we're here on this earth, to give Him glory. And so as He's praying for their perseverance, one of the things I have, we will persevere because we are His. We are kept by the name of God. What did we say that we are kept by the name? What does that name mean? What did we say it meant? Kept by the name of God. What does the name mean? It's not just what we think of. My name means nothing. I was not named after anybody and my name has no significance. Some of you, your names may. But when, 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 when we are kept by the name of God... What does that mean? What does the name connotation mean biblically? There's a relationship. This speaks of the character. All that He is. Speaks of all of His attributes. So when He keeps us by His name, He keeps us by His... It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for anyone to pluck us out of the Father's hands because the Father is greater than all. It is, we are kept by His omnipotence. The the Bible says He pities His children. One of the definitions of pity, not only does He empathize, but He has the ability to do something about it. So when we are kept by His name, we're kept by everything He is. Okay? And that is immutable and unchangeable. So He keeps us by His name. And so the name is, I've read that, and then it is impossible, look at the line, it is impossible for God to lie. None of His people will ultimately be lost or permanently fall away. Notice that I said, ultimately or permanently. What does that imply? Pardon me? 
We can backslide. We cannot resemble Him for a while. We cannot bear His image for a while. But ultimately, we will not finally and totally fall away. He preserves us. It's His salvation. You have to understand this about God. It's His salvation. He's sovereign. And if you think, I've said this a thousand times, I'm going to say it one more time. If you think you can lose your salvation, that means you think you had something to do with it. You didn't. You offered Him nothing but your sin nature and sin, and He changed your will, your desire, everything about you, and He made you new. He is The old is passing away, and everything is becoming new, right? But He has promised that He began the work. He'll finish it. And all these verses in here that I have listed, He holds us. We persevere because He preserves us. Okay? It all works together. You can't lose your salvation. Those who appeared to be His but fall away, they fall away because they weren't His completely, right? And we looked at that in 1 John Help me. 2.9. Is it 2.19? Check on that vow. I don't want to mislead anybody. But, but these verses... Uh, Let's look at these just real quickly. Uh, uh, we've read these, but look at some of these. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1.11. This is a chewy verse. Ephesians 1.11. I won't read the, the longest verse in the Greek. One continual sentence. Uh, but 1.11. In Him we've obtained an inheritance predestined according to the purposes of Him who works all things to the counsel of His will. So this inheritance, what is the down payment of the inheritance? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that indwells us, will never leave us or forsake us. We are indwelt by Him and we are finished in Him. And when Paul says, those He foreknew, He predestined, He, he calls and He justifies that glorified, is finished work. So, if it's a finished work in God's mind, that means He's going to preserve us until we're glorified, right? And so we're glorified when we escape these dissolving tents and we are changed and we get put on immortal, incorruptible bodies fit for heaven. We are ultimately glorified then. We have no longer a possibility to sin. That is His promise of finishing from regeneration, from foreknowledge to glorification. Finished. Completed. He prays for their perseverance, and we will persevere. Yes, ma'am. I'm glad to have you back. (laughs) When we talked about verse 3, remember we spent 15 minutes. This is eternal life that they may know you. We talked about the magic word gnosko. And that that is a spirit-given knowledge perceived and we can abundantly know Him now. Right? 
And it's not just the here and by, but it's seen through a glass, as Sally quoted. We can know him now, okay? So, uh, uh, somebody's ding-a-linging. Hey, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Can you get over this? We are co-heirs with Christ. That's what, and it goes back to family. I mean, we see a picture of family here in our physical bodies type of deal, but what we're talking about here is a holy family. Blood-bought family. Ransomed by Christ. Forever. This is a, this Sunday school class, this church is a microcosm of what it's going to be like. And have you heard the pastor say, if you don't like worshiping here with people that love you, I would say you're going to be miserable in heaven, but I would say before that, maybe you're not going to be there. <laughs> so we, he perseveres us, he causes us to persevere. Just many verse, our favorite text, of course, everybody knows Romans 8, uh, but... Uh, but uh, just uh, uh, 8.38, I'm persuaded neither death nor life or angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he prays we are going to be kept. We will persevere. Now, I've talked about the unity a bit. Now let's look at verse 13. Uh uh, does everybody, we talked about this, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those you gave me I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. One question that is, I'm not going to tiptoe around it, it's a very difficult question. Does the fact that, and this is a very, I don't know why I'm even bringing this up, I should have gotten out of this and should have left. But, I, but I'm going to go ahead because this is one of the most difficult concepts in all of Scripture. It's divided people for 2,000 years. Let's not be divided. Let's just trust what God says. Judas Iscariot was mentioned in Psalm 41.9, let another take his office. We know that he was prophesied that he would, that he would betray be Benedict Arnold to Jesus, was he still responsible for what he did? Did the prophecies lock him in that he could not have done any different? Pharaoh? Why was Pharaoh raised up? To harden his heart for his glory. Pharaoh was responsible for what he did. Judas is responsible for what he did. Raised up for that specific point. And it's mind-boggling that he and Judas are still responsible for what they did. And do we get that? No. But does the right word say that? Yes. So what do we say? 
both are true. So we are not God. We cannot understand that. Can Judas say, but God, you told me this is what I was, this is why I was put on the earth. Wow. Can the potter, Clay say to the potter, why have you made me? That's enough time on that difficult subject. Not to cause disunity within the body here. Argued for 2,000 years. Both are true. Sovereignty, human responsibility. Yes, it does say that, dear. Vessels in the honor, vessels in the dishonor. The criterion is that we do not have to understand it all. We may not even have to like it. Many are Christians that don't believe that. Right? So, we'll leave it at that. Just wanted to bring that up. Now he prays for verse 13. Now I come to you, these things I speak in the world. That phrase, in the world, that means publicly so that my disciples can hear me. So some have asked me or some have asked, did the disciples hear him? Yes. He did this purposefully. When he says, I pray this in the world... That means that my disciples could hear me. It could sink into their ears. I did it publicly. So, the answer to the question is, yes, he prayed publicly for his disciples' benefit. So, he prays in the world that they may have my... Notice it says, he prays for my joy to be fulfilled in them. What do we know about joy? It's not contingent upon circumstances. It's internal. It is not external. Uh, the joy uh, is consistent regardless of the circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And it comes supernaturally from Him. And it is progressive joy is. And when, what did Jesus say in Hebrews for the what set before him, he endured the cross. The joy. Jesus set his face like a flint for the joy that was before him. So when he prays for the disciples that my joy would be fulfilled in, them, in themselves, he is praying that the disciples would be joyful, the regardless of their circumstance, regardless of the difficulties of their life, and they were about to, in a short three or four hours, they were about to be scattered. Peter is going to deny Jesus. Jesus knew this. He's equipping them right now for what's going to happen. Every one of them are going to be martyred except for John, the apostle, and he's going to be, uh, he's going to be, uh, live a long life of, of, uh, uh, basically, uh, in a, Boy, mine is a exile on the Isle of Patmos. Thank you. All of them are going to suffer. But he says, I pray that my joy will be fulfilled in them. And so he's praying that the Holy Spirit is going to produce this in them, that whatever goes on in their life, and when it happens, it happens. And so they're going to be able to say, as James 
His half-brother said, no, not that's James the Apostle, but as James said, pastor of Jerusalem counted all joy. It's the same word, and it's the answer to Jesus' prayer that we can suffer and we can still be joyful because we know that the purpose of that joy is what? Producing that in us, character, right? And perseverance, right? So we see that this prayer is answered answered in the disciples and that they all of them persevere, all of them are joyful in their serving of Him and He, they follow the example of their Master and Savior and so we too should do that. So He prays for their joy. Uh, uh, I like this, what, I, what I've got here. Jesus' joy and our joy are realized when we are faithful, obedient, submissive, humble, dependent, and trusting. Our lives are what they are created to be when we glorify and enjoy God. Remember, in fact, it says that Jesus learned what? Through obedience. He learned, he learned obedience through what? Suffering. And that suffering was done in joy. And so we learn obedience through suffering, just like our Master learned obedience through suffering. As a man, He represented us and was our substitute, so He had to be touched with all of our infirmities. He had to be tempted. He had to experience in His flesh what we experience in our flesh, right? And so He learned the same way we learned. And his joy was fulfilled. And so he prays for that in his disciples. Just to give you some exciting verses about this joy being fulfilled in us. Let's look at uh, a few of these verses. Psalm 43. If you don't read the Psalms, you need to read the Psalms. Forty-three, just three and four. O oh Lord, send your light and your truth. He did, didn't He? Jesus Christ is the light and the truth. Let them, the light and the truth, lead me. Let them, the light and the truth, bring me to your presence and to your tabernacle. And because He came, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And this joy will reflect itself in what? Praise. We see that. We see that. Look at the, the whole chapter of, of Isaiah 12. Uh, don't panic, it's just uh, six verses. Isaiah 12, talking about joy. Jesus prays that His joy would be fulfilled in us. In that day you will say, Isaiah 12, Oh Lord, I will praise you though you were capitalized circle, were angry with me, but your anger is turned away, and now you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah, which is a short for Yahweh. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Therefore, with what joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, It's a picture of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in that day, you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His deeds among the peoples. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He's done excellent things. 
look over to Jeremiah 15:16. Just uh, one book over. 15:16, Jeremiah about joy. <coughs> And can you say this? Another thing to chew on this week. Your words were found and I ate them. What does that mean, I ate them? Meditated, consumed them, obeyed them, memorized them. Pardon me? Over it and over it. I like Selah. I chewed on it. It's a tasty morsel that the more you chew on it, the more the sweeter it gets. Uh, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I called, or I was called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Uh, look at Matthew 25, 21. Uh, this is about joy. 25, 21. Talking about the parable of the talents, that God gives talents and gifts to His people and we're responsible. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. A little different connotation there. What does it mean, the joy of your Lord? What does it mean in this context? He's been faithful to the Master, says, Enter into the joy of your Lord. What is that connotation, the joy of the Lord? Pardon me? Yep. Reward. The final culmination of faithfulness to Him, the joy of His reward. It's worth it. It's worth it. Nothing you go through can compare to this, the joy of the Lord. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in that. Uh, Hebrews 12.2, I've already quoted this verse, but this is Jesus' joy, and He's praying for it to be our joy and to be our motivating joy. And remember 11 of Hebrews, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, we look into Jesus, the author, the finish of our faith, who for the what? Joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and now He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Reward. Joy and service. Motivated out of love. Motivated out of relationship to Him. So Jesus prays that the disciples would be joyful. Now, to today's lesson, as we move into this, obviously we're not going to finish this, but that's okay. Jesus prays for another thing. He prays for their joy. And now what He prays in, He prays for verse 14 through 17. He prays for their sanctification. I've given them your word. The world hates them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we see this word. He's praying for the disciples. Sanctification. This is a long, fancy word. 
We're very familiar with it. The word in the Greek is hagias. In this form, it's hagiazo. I think there's a little ditto mark. And that word means to be set apart. It is the same word we get for holy. He is set apart, set apart. He is wholly different than anyone else. He's wholly different. And we are to be wholly different because He's wholly different. So he's, we're set apart, we're holy, and it's the same word used for saint. We are all saints if we are in Christ. So we see this word, He's praying, sanctify Him. So the means He uses to set us apart, to make us holy, is always is and always will be the Word. The Word, energized by the Holy Spirit, sets us apart. This Word, uh, we call this uh, in uh, here and in theology, we call, what is this sanctification? It's a process, right? Where we are becoming what? More like Christ. There is a point in time when we are set apart and we are set apart by the Holy Spirit when we are regenerated and born again. And when we are regenerated and born again by the Holy Spirit, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth. You don't know the sound of it, but you see the results of it, right? So when the Holy Spirit creates, regenerates your heart, He creates faith in you, you are positionally set apart forever. Okay? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the Godhead in salvation. So when the Holy Spirit gives you faith, you apprehend, you trust, you place your complete confidence in Him, and then He starts to renew your mind, your will, and everything. But there is an aspect that it is positional, right? And then there's an aspect where it is progressive, and it is a process. You cannot progress and in Christ, you cannot progress to become more like Christ unless the Holy Spirit is doing that in you. Right? The Holy Spirit has to do that in you. And you have a part to play in that. Right? He doesn't just zap us with spiritual maturity. We are to obey yield. Scripture tells us over and over we're to put on and put off. We're not to yield our eyeballs, our members as instruments of unrighteousness. We're not to touch the unclean thing. So we have a function with this, not for the position, but for the process, right? And so we're all responsible. But none of us would be would want to do this or have the ability to do this because we know Philippians tells us He created us the will and He created us the ability to do His pleasure. So Christ working in us through His Spirit is making us like Himself with the Holy Spirit, right? And so that's what Jesus prays. He says, I pray you would sanctify them through the Word. And if you don't hear anything I say, you've got to hear this. You've got to read and study and obey the Word. Because the Word, 
We believe passionately that the Word transforms lives and it conforms, shapes us like Christ and it renews our minds. We do not believe there is any shortcut to this. And then an additional thing that sanctifies us is when we pray. He changes us through prayer. And He builds up assurance and hope and faith within us through us gnoscoing Him better because what we see Him do within His body. Right? So He says, sanctify them through Your Word. Your Word is truth. The Word is the mind, the will of God. It tells us who it is. And then the capital W is God, right? We see that. Comments or questions about sanctification. He prays that we will be and we will. Each of us grows at a different pace. Each of us are in a different process. There are many in this church that are farther along the process than I am. Right? If we do not understand the greatness of Ephesians 1, 2, 3, of all that he's done, nobody ever told me that when I found out that he had positioned me in the process of my sanctification, moved right along because it was right along with where he had the doctrine, there's no accident that the doctrine comes first before the practical, right? So when you know in your mind who you are in Christ and that He has positioned you in the heavenly places and He's given you all the Zoa life necessary for living this life. That's right. He says we are. Don't feel righteous sometimes. I would almost go to say never. Right, Rusty? Yes, ma'am. That's right. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Matter of fact, I will say this without... In trepidation, we are as righteous as Christ. <laughs> and I say that without getting fear struck by lightning bolt because that's what God's Word says. Positionally. He's clothed us in His righteousness. That's right. That's right. And because we are positionally righteous, we have an obligation not to bring Him shame. That's what David's great prayer was. He said, I have brought you shame, and I have defamed your name. Yes, sir. You don't have to raise your hand, brother. Buh, raise your hand. Go ahead. The 
84 years of experience back there through trials and tribulations, still understanding God has to do it all. And that is a good pattern for us. And I got to go because I got to go. But bring these back with you next week. And uh, we will finish this section next week. And uh, we're going to talk about what it means not to be taken out of the world and why he would pray for that. And it does not mean that we won't be raptured. I've heard some people say that means we're not going to be raptured. That does not mean that. And I will uh, hopefully clear that up. And we will also get to his prayer for us. So for homework, read 20 through 26. And if you can read that without a dry eye, we'll talk about it. Him praying for us. God praying for you. <sighs> Glad y'all are here. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You're sovereign. We thank You that You have positioned us in Christ Jesus. And we are positionally righteous. We thank You for Your salvation and for the work of the cross. Thank You for the ransom. Thank You that we are reconciled. We thank You that the sins have been propitiated, expiated. We have been bought with Your precious blood and bought back from the slave block of sin. We are saved finally and forever. And help us, uh, help us to be a joyful, content, thankful people. And Lord, help us to remember this throughout the week, that we are loved by You, and we have always been loved by You. And You reconciled us to us. You sought us. We thank You for Your glory that You show in saving sinful men. Even angels are in awe of what You do in men's hearts. We thank You for the future glory we have Forever we're going to be with you and we're going to have a mind to comprehend this in glory and it's still going to take forever to see your grace in Christ. Lord, help us to live like we're saved, positioned and grow us practically through your word as we minister in love to your people and to each other. In your name, amen.